Well, hey church, it is great to have you with us again today. Do you know, it is great to be able to meet together, even if it is in this online digital format. I'm so glad that you've made the effort to get here, to be here, to join in with us in this uh, church online setting. Um, do you know what? It's great to meet together on uh, our prayer meeting on Wednesday. We, uh, we got together for an hour or so um, and it was great to see so many faces there and, and actually we were led through uh, something a little bit different. It was this very like contemplative, reflective uh, prayer to start with and then we rounded off with uh, an Ignatius examen kind of closing prayer which was really interesting. So uh, you missed out if you weren't there but I encourage you join with us on this Wednesday for our final prayer meeting as we wrap up this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Do you know, I hope and pray that these past three weeks uh, or two weeks and the one to follow have been a real blessing to you, a chance for you to draw close and draw into God's presence, not only to, to be with him, but also to hear from him as he speaks uh, love and life over you. Uh, and also just for that opportunity to, again, to unite as one church, as one body here at Hope Church, praying intentionally for these specific things that we've mentioned that we're praying through. So thank you for being a part in that. Thank you for partnering with us and joining with us in that. Do you know, God moves when his church prays together in unity. So I am excited to see what this next year has in store for us. Okay, so I don't know about you, but as British people, I believe that we are never happier than when we're having a good moan. We live in a, in a culture, don't we, that is so discontented. We complain every time there's a line at the checkout or there's traffic or the weather's too wet or too cold or too hot. We complain about spam emails, hidden charges, not being able to get doctor's appointments, Brexit negotiations, house prices, public transports. Mondays, there is no boundary to our love of complaining. Here's some, uh, here's some stats for you that I found this week. Uh, a study done in 2019 has shown that over half of this nation admit to a daily moan and groan. And then one in five of us complain more than three times per day. Is that you? And so apparently that equates to 169 hours of moaning in a year. Do not ask me how they've calculated that. I don't know, but it was written down, so I'm believing it. And let me ask you this, which generation do you think is the biggest of all the moaners? It's the millennials. Not only do they love to moan more than the rest of us, but also their moaning lasts for longer. Each episode can last for up to 14.3 minutes. That is a lot of moaning. And ironically, whilst we love a good moan, we have zero tolerance for other people moaning. 40% of Brits hate listening to other people moan. One in four people admit to moaning about other people moaning. It's just bonkers, isn't it? We love a good 
moan. You're probably moaning about me now, giving you all this information on a Sunday morning. Just shut up, John. That's just a few stats to just kick things off. But the general census is there is no hope. We love to moan. But there is one group of people who are known for moaning even more than the Brits, and that is the Israelites. You know, if there was a prize going for the, the ultimate complainers in the, in the history of complaints, it was going to them. There was just no off switch. They couldn't stop whining. And then actually the reality of that, that because of, of this attitude, because of their, their continuous moaning, they ended up losing what was promised to them. And here's the thing with the Israelites, you see, God gave them so many chances. And yet each time they would complain, there would be a consequence, but then they would pretty much immediately begin to gripe again. Just read in the book of Numbers, it's riddled with complaints, with destruction, and then yet more complaints. In fact, they love to moan so much that in my Bible, chapter 11 is titled, the people complain and and the proof is right here in the first couple of verses and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes and when the Lord heard it his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down But despite these consequences, they continued to complain. They complained about the the manner that God gave them in the wilderness, that they they dwelt in the past and, and actually wished that they were still in slavery because at least in slavery in Egypt, they had meat to eat. They complained about the leadership that God had put in position and they complained that they weren't strong enough to enter the promised land and what happened as a result not one of those complainers got to enter the promised land not one of them experienced uh, the fullness of what God had spoken over their lives they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness until eventually all of those moaners had literally died off Well, the title of my message today, if you've not quite grasped it yet, is Quit Complaining. Maybe you're thinking, what's so bad about complaining? Well, today I want to say, and and I'm speaking to myself as well, complaining shows a resistance to change. It shows weakness in your patience. It's, It's a distraction, an obstacle getting in the way of getting to the promises of God and it shows uh, it shows a lack of trust in God's planning and in God's timing so quit complaining it says in Proverbs trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight do you know, I think if we're honest, many of, us, many of us struggle with this complaining attitude. 
But in order to, to stop complaining, we need to be willing to, to, to face the, the truth about our attitude and, and acknowledge that actually it's becoming ingrained into our character and then we can do something about it. And actually what we need to do is to, to find the root of the problem that's causing this, this attitude. You know, sometimes our complaining comes from a, an elevated view of ourselves. And other times we complain because, well, actually, it's probably easier to moan about our lives rather than, than spending the time and the energy to, to focus on and to recognize the positive. And sometimes it's because we prefer to, to hold on to the past rather than believing for a better future. You know, last week we spoke about, about Abraham being called out of, of his life with his family and out of his father's household and called into a life of blessing, into a promise that his, his descendants would be beyond measure and then would enter into the promised land. Well, here we are, and his descendants, it says in Exodus, the people of Israel were, were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So the promise that was spoken over Abraham, it, it had now uh, started to come to pass and, and they find themselves living in Egypt, this great nation, God's chosen people, living in Egypt but no longer under a king who, who cared for them and who respected them, but under a new pharaoh who really was not a fan. He enslaved them. He put them to, to work. He made their lives bitter. And, and actually, he was so concerned about the spread of this people across his land that he instructed to be killed every single newborn male, essentially to, to wipe the Israelites off the face of the earth for good. And then we see Moses, an Israelite born at this time and then rescued by Pharaoh's daughter of all people and and then he would go on to be the one chosen by God to rescue the Israelites from this this bondage that they found themselves in. We're going to read from uh, from Exodus chapter 3 and and in this passage Moses is now he's now grown up and and we see this incredible moment where God uh, appears to Moses in a burning bush and and he calls out to Moses to take off your sandals because the the ground that you are standing on is holy. And then in this in this holy moment with God the Lord says to Moses He says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. He's calling them out here. I'll bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. (coughs) You know, through Moses, God is about to speak to his people, to the Israelites. He's, He's calling them out of this oppression that they're under with with Pharaoh and back onto the path 
towards the promise that was made to Abraham, the covenant that said they would inherit the promised land, that God would be with them on this journey and he would bless them mightily. When God calls us out of something, it's to call us into something greater. And you know what he's saying here as he speaks to Moses, he's saying, I, I see your struggles, I, I hear your cries for, for help, and, and here I am now, I'm responding to you, I'm calling you out of bondage and into the life of blessing that has been promised to you. Now, I'm not going to go through the, the whole story today of the Israelites' escape and, and rescue from Egypt. You can read about that yourself in the book of Exodus or go and watch the film, The Prince of Egypt, to get what's going on here. But, but what I want to do today is just pull out a, a couple of thoughts based on this journey of the, the Israelites of how an attitude of complaining can actually stop us responding to God when he's calling us out and into something that he's promised for our life. And one thing I believe that an attitude of complaining can, can lead us into is spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. Go with me on this if you can. You know, if we think about this journey of the Israelites that they, that they went on from being called out of Egypt and back onto this, this road and, and everything that God was calling them into, that their attitude of complaining caused them to forget God's gracious and miraculous deliverance. Everything that they'd been through, 10 crazy plagues, the Red Sea literally parting so that they could cross over on dry land and then the water crashing down on the Egyptians who were chasing after them. Their complaining made them forget God's provision, how he'd, how he'd sustained them throughout this journey with, with manna from heaven, with literally bringing water out of a rock when they were thirsty. They were suffering from spiritual amnesia. You know, they got themselves into this place where, where all they would do was moan and gripe about every little thing. But what I don't understand is how could they possibly have forgotten God's incredible goodness to them? How could they forget everything that they had been through so far on this journey? Their moaning and their complaining had created within them this, this spirit of, of faithlessness. And you know, faithlessness says, I know better than God. If only he would follow my plan. But who knows that, that God's plans are far better than ours. That he can turn any situation around for good. That he can make a way where there is no way. He doesn't need to follow our plan because we should be following his plan, the best plan, the, the perfect plan for our lives. So if you find yourself having a bit of a moan, I want to encourage you and encourage me, speak to your spirit. Quit complaining and remind yourself of God's goodness, 
of all that he's, he's brought you through, of, of all the times that he's sustained you, of all the, the situations that you found yourself in where you saw no way through, and yet he brought you through. When we complain, it's not a response to our surroundings or to our circumstance. It's a reflection of our heart. Do you know a heart of, of gratitude isn't dependent on your, on your bank balance or your diagnosis or the praise that you've just received for a job well done. A heart of gratitude is, is dependent on a relationship with God and on the knowledge that you are enough. An attitude of, of thankfulness is, is rooted in a recognition of God's amazing grace and of his abundant provision. So I would encourage you, don't let spiritual amnesia threaten your faith and and drag you into a culture and a lifestyle of complaining. Quit complaining. So how do we get out of this attitude of complaining, this, this spiritual forgetfulness? Well, I want to encourage you today to shift your focus. Shift your focus. The antidote to to spiritual amnesia is remembering God's redeeming love. The secret to, to not complaining is to shift your focus. You know, too often we, we can focus on things that are, are out of our control or, or that aren't to our liking. And it's in those moments when we begin to murmur and to mumble. But if you want to stop complaining about your life, what you need to do is, is to focus on what you have instead of what you don't have. Now, I can't promise that you won't ever find yourself going down uh, thought patterns of, of negative ideas and of moaning and of complaining. But what I can encourage you with today is when you find yourself going down there to shift your focus. You know, Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians, doesn't he, that we should take every thought captive. Take them captive. That's because what we think about affects how we behave. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about our thought life and and about its importance, but the the overall kind of instruction is clear. Let's just look at this in uh, in Philippians chapter 4. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, I want to encourage you not to get pulled down this this downward spiral of of negative thinking, not to to let an attitude of, of complaining rob you of remembering God's goodness and his faithfulness. You know, they say we need to count our blessings, don't we? But why is that so important to remember? Because we have a tendency to, to downplay our blessings. It's, it's so easy to focus more on, on what we don't have until it becomes this kind of all-consuming thing and we just wallow in our lack when, when in reality we have got so much 
to be thankful for. We need to shift our focus. You know, it's something we're being intentional about as, as a family this year. We've, we've got ourselves a gratitude jar that sits on the mantelpiece in our dining room. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, what we do is whenever there's something to be thankful for, whether it's something as, as simple as a delicious meal or having a great day out together, or whether it's for major breakthrough or blessings, when something like that comes to mind or happens to us, we, we write it down on a bit of paper and we put it in the jar. And then at the end of the year, what we'll do is we'll be able to then look back at, uh, and remind ourselves of all these things that, that have blessed us, that we can be thankful for, so we can cultivate this, this attitude of gratitude. <clears throat> and not only does it give us this something to reflect on as we, as we look back, but actually it helps us to be, be more grateful in the moment as, as things come to mind and happen. We're like, oh, oh do you know what? I want to write this down in the jar. I want to take this moment and just pause and, and say, I am thankful for this. We need to quit complaining and shift our focus. And you know, this idea of the, the gratitude jar, actually, it's quite similar to a pattern that, that was given to the Israelites. You see, the, uh, God provided them with, with manna from heaven, didn't he, in the, in the wilderness. And he sustained them even through their, their moaning that they had no meat and all they wanted was a steak. But they were told to, uh, to gather manna for each day and, and not, to gather, not to take any more than what they needed. And so some of the Israelites, well, they got greedy and gathered some for the next day, but then they woke up and it had spoiled. But they didn't need to do that because God provided for them enough food every day for the day. And then God instructs Moses, he says, take some of, of this manna and put it in a jar as a reminder of God's faithfulness. He encouraged him to literally create this, this gratitude jar. And you know, this, this kind of symbolizes not just one miracle, but two. Obviously, there's the miracle that, that God was providing for like two million people over 40 years with, uh, with manna from heaven, no matter what their, their dietary requirements, their allergies, their, their intolerances, whatever it was. And then the second miracle is that this manna that was, that was put in a jar, well, this didn't spoil like the manna that they collected for the next day went rotten and was filled with, with maggots. Well, this manna in this jar was kept safe, was kept there as a reminder of God's goodness, of his faithfulness, of his enduring love. I don't know, maybe, maybe you want to get yourselves a gratitude jar in your home. It's a great thing to do, and I can't wait till the end of the year to, to look back on everything we've got to be thankful for. But I believe that, that God is saying something to us today. He's, he's saying that we're so often inclined to, to grumble and to be thankless and to complain about our, our circumstances, but God's encouraging us to remember his, his gracious redemption and his provision. Do you know, why don't you just take a moment right now to, to look back and to reflect on, on God's fingerprints all over your life. Remember how God has protected you from making a mess of your life. 
Remember how God awakened you to the, the ugliness of your sin and redeemed you. Remember how you walked away from that car crash. Remember how your family member or friend survived cancer. Remember all those mentors and friends who are with you on this journey, helping you and guiding you to grow in your faith. Remember how God sustained you during that season of unemployment. Remember how God miraculously healed you. Remember that impossible prayer request that God answered. Remember how you had no money and then an envelope showed up through the door with just the exact amount that you needed. Remember how the gospel came alive as it never had before. Remember God. Do you know, I want to I close with this. Uh, I found myself reflecting this week on, uh, on Psalm 23. And so I just want to take a minute to, to read it to you. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such encouraging words of hope, aren't they? I'll have everything I ever need and more. The Passion Translation says, He offers me a place to rest in his luxurious love. There is restoration in him. There is rest in him. He is our provider. He is our, our redeemer. He is our savior and our protector. There is no need to fear. So I just want to spend a few more moments now just hanging out in this, in this psalm. And, and as we do, I pray that this act of, of remembering, of, of reminding ourselves of God's goodness, it allows you to, to shift your focus and, and awaken within you a fresh joy in God and, and a deep sense of gratitude and a knowledge that he loves you, that he knows you, that he's for you.